Uh, Let's do this. If you have a Bible, get it out. Let's turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, all right? Mark chapter 12. And uh, just in case you haven't been here over the past couple of weeks, let me catch up real quick, all right? A couple of weeks ago, we started a brand new series called The Greatest of these is love. And I told you last week, the goal of this series is really simple. And here's the goal of the series. I wanted to do something over uh, a few weeks time to help us all understand how not to be arrogant, prideful, super religious. People can't stand to be around us Christians, right? We have enough of those in the world. And uh, to be honest with you, I just don't really feel like leading a ministry uh, of a bunch of kids like that. So instead, I wanted to do a series that encouraged us all to be students who are characterized by love, known by our love for the things of God, for God himself, and for other people. Like, here's the deal. If tonight you're here and you say you know Jesus... You should be easily identifiable, all right? Not because you're annoying, right? But because you truly are characterized by love. You should be easily identifiable. Well, in, uh, if you remember in, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus has some pretty incredible words when it comes to this topic of love. And again, if you've missed the past two weeks, when we read this passage, you should get caught up quickly on what you've missed. Okay. Mark chapter 12, Jesus is teaching. He gets asked a question. Here's the question. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Another way this guy could have said it was this. He could have walked up to Jesus and said, if there's one thing I can devote my entire life to Jesus, what should that one thing be? And in Mark chapter 12, he gives us the answer. And here's what Jesus says. He says the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment. Than these. In the very first week, we talked about how, man, if we are followers of Jesus, we should be characterized as people who love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, here's what Jesus was saying you should love God with a perfect sincerity, right? Not in a hypocritical way. You should love God with your feelings and emotions. You should actually feel affection for God. Jesus says we should love God with our decision making, our thought processes, our intellect, our reasoning. And then Jesus, he says, we should love God with an energy and with an intensity and with a passion. That, that was week one. And, and here's the simple reason why you should love God that way. All right, here's the reason. Because God loves you. That, that's why. First John 4 says, this is love. Not that you loved him, but that he loved you. And here's the deal. God loved you when? When you were at your worst. When you were his enemy. When you were stuck in your sin, God loved you. And the reason you and I should love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is not so that God will love us in return. We love God because what? Because he already loves us. You don't have anything to earn, nothing to prove. You have the love of God. And God says, just love me in return. Love me in return. Well, last week... We talked about what it looks like to love each other. And we dove into the second part of that commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you were here, you remember, we talked about what it looks like to love the other people sitting inside this room. So all of us that say we know Jesus, why is it important for us to actually love each other? And and it goes deeper than like, hey, why don't we just all get along? Because that would be nice. 
The Bible actually says we should love each other because when we do, people get a picture of who God is through our love. Like when we love each other, people look at us and go, oh, those people are following Jesus. And man, there's some credibility to what they say they believe. Like the way they love each other doesn't make sense. It can only be explained by the God they say they believe in. So that's why you and I should love each other. Now tonight, and I told you this last week, we're going to dive back into what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourself. But instead of focusing on why we should love each other, the people sitting in this room, tonight we're going to focus our time and our attention around why you and I as followers of Jesus Christ should love people outside the walls of this place. So, so here it is. Why should you and I love broken, hurting, and sinful people? Tonight we're going to talk about why you and I should believe or or love people who don't believe what we believe. We're going to talk about why we should love people who do things we would never do, go places we would never go. We're going to talk tonight about why we should love people who have never stepped foot inside the walls of a church and swear they never will. So to help us answer that question, why should we love people? those people. Do do me a favor, flip in your Bibles back just a few pages to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to read one of my favorite stories out of all four Gospels. I I love this story out of the book of Mark. While you're flipping there, um, here's kind of what's going on with Jesus at this point. You're, You're only two chapters into the book of Mark, but Jesus has already done some incredible things, all right? The Bible says he's healed a man of leprosy. You guys know what leprosy is, right? It's like your skin rots and falls off. It's weird. You start losing fingers and toes, and I, I hope you never get leprosy. All right, um, it's nasty. But Jesus heals a man of leprosy. Um, the Bible says he casts out demons um, from people. He heals people of all kinds of sicknesses, the Bible says. And we also find that really cool story where uh, three friends, or, or, well, we don't know how many friends, but a few friends bring this guy on a mat to Jesus, right? And they can't get him in the front door of the house where Jesus is. So they cut a hole in somebody's roof, which is not cool, but they do that anyway. They cut a hole in somebody's roof, and they lower him down through the roof in front of Jesus. And a man who's been paralyzed since the time he was born is healed by Jesus, and he gets up, and he picks his mat up, and he walks out in front of everybody. All this has happened. So I say that to say this. Jesus is kind of getting some recognition around this time. Two chapters in, people are hearing the name Jesus and going, I've heard about that guy. He's the guy that's casting out demons. He healed the guy with leprosy. He healed the paralytic guy. I I know him. So everywhere Jesus is going, here's what's happening. Large crowds are starting to find him. They're starting to follow him because people want to see what he's going to say and what he's going to do next. In Mark chapter 2, this is exactly what's going on. And we're going to pick it up and start reading together in verse 13. Mark chapter 2. Starting in verse 13, read this with me. It says, He went out beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, these guys are looking at Jesus' friends and going, why is he eating with those 
people. And I love this. Jesus overhears the question and he doesn't let his friends answer for him. Jesus speaks up himself and he says to these guys, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Tonight, I want to point some specific things and some specific people out of this story to help us understand why we as Christ followers should love people who aren't following Jesus. All right, if you take a notes, here's the first thing I want you to write down. And here's the first thing I want you to know. Jesus loves to pursue lost people. Jesus loves to pursue lost people. Let me show you what I'm talking about from this story, okay? The Bible said this. It just said this. Jesus walking beside the sea, large crowd following him, and he sees this guy named Levi. A lot of us know Levi by another name. His name is Matthew. He was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote a book in the Bible called... You guys are unbelievably smart. I'm so proud of you. Um, Yes, he wrote the book... Matthew. So Jesus, here's the deal. He's walking beside the sea. He's teaching. He sees this guy, Matthew, sitting behind a tax collector's booth. Okay? And Jesus puts the pause button on for a minute, and he goes straight toward this guy. Now, here's what I need you to know about Matthew. The Bible says Matthew is behind this booth, and he is collecting taxes. Now, I've told you about tax collectors here at Reckless, but just in case you haven't been around or you've forgotten, let me remind you how tax collectors were viewed in this day and what their job was about, all right? These guys were hated. They were hated. Tax collectors were hired by the Roman government to go and to collect taxes from their own people. The Roman government was ruling over all of Israel during this time, during Jesus' day, and they would come into Israel. They would identify people Jewish people to go and to take money from their own people to give it back to the Roman government so the Roman government could support its empire, okay? So here's kind of what would happen. The Roman government would come and go, okay, dude, uh, in this case, Matthew, Matthew, go into your own neighborhood, collect taxes for us, and then your reward for doing that job is you can take a little bit extra from your own people to support yourself, all right? Now, it doesn't sound so terrible until you hear that what would happen is that these guys would go in and they would take way, way more than they needed, okay? So like, if I was a tax collector and I showed up at my boy Zach's house and I needed 10 bucks to, to give back, I'd go, Zach, I need 100. I, I need $100. And what I would do is give the 10 bucks and I'd pocket 90. Here's the deal. Tax collectors were very rich sinners, okay? They were living very comfortable lives while the people living around them suffered, and, and a lot of them lived in poverty. They were hated. So Matthew would have been this guy sitting behind the tax collector's booth on this day. He's a thief. He's stealing from his own people. He's living for worldly stuff. He's doing nothing good with his life. Everybody around him hates him. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't look at him and go, dirty sinner. Can't believe that guy. He's stealing from his own people. What a thief, man. That guy, he needs to be punished. He needs justice. Like this is ridiculous. What does Jesus do? He looks at Matthew, this sinful man, hated by his own people, and he walks straight up to his booth, and he says, Matthew, I I want you to come follow me. 
I want you to come follow me. Jesus doesn't wait on Matthew to see him and to come follow him, right? Jesus doesn't stop the crowd. Hey, let's pray for Matthew over there, right? He needs our prayers. Jesus walks up to Matthew, looks him in the face, this sinful man, and he says, Matthew, come be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to come and I want you to follow me. Here's the reason why. Because Jesus loves to pursue lost people. He loves to go after lost people. We see it if you keep reading the story because what happens next? Jesus actually looks at old Matthew and goes, dude, you got food in your house? I'm hungry, right? Let's go to your house and eat. And Jesus and Matthew aren't the only ones. Like Jesus looks at Matthew and goes, hey, can I bring some of my friends with me? You know who he brings? He brings more tax collectors and he brings more sinners to this little dinner party he's hosting at Matthew's house. I want you to imagine this scene with me. All right, put, your shoe, or put yourself in the shoes of Matthew. Matthew walks in his front door at two in the afternoon when he should be at work and his wife looks at him and goes, uh, babe, why, why are you home so early, right? And Matthew goes, honey, you're never going to believe this. I quit my job today. You know, and wifey's going, does this mean I'm going to have to sell the BMW, right? Not like no more manis and petties once a week. Like what's going on? Have you lost your mind? Why did you quit your job? And Matthew looks back and goes, you know that guy, Jesus, we've been hearing so much about? Like he's healing leprous people. He's casting demons out. He healed that paralytic man. He came to my booth today and he told me to leave what I was doing and to come follow him. And he's outside right now, and he's hungry, so I need you to get in the kitchen and cook something up. Oh, and by the way, little wifey, who I love so much, he's got some people with him, right? And these aren't the greatest people in the world. Some of them are my tax collector buddies, but he's also got some prostitutes, some pimps, some drug dealers, some thieves, and some murderers with him. And he wants to bring them in to eat with us. This is what's going on outside. So let's open the doors, set the table. We're having a dinner party, right? This is what's going on in in, in Mark chapter 2. And here's why. Listen to me. It's because Jesus loves to pursue lost, sinful, broken, hurting people who lack purpose in life and need hope and peace and something more than what they already have. Jesus loves to pursue lost people. Guys, I want to tell you a truth that you can never afford to forget. Okay, here is the truth. The whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world is because he loves sinful people. I I need you to remember that. Like, if you take notes, that's something that you should write down, highlight, put stars around. The whole reason Jesus came into this world is because he loves sinful people. Um, Throw this verse up on the screen, Jacob. Luke 19, verse 10. Let's do this. Read this out loud with me together. Okay, here we go. On three, we're going to read this together. One, two, three. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Let's read it again. One more time. You ready? Here we go. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why did Jesus come to the world? Does it get any more easy than that? Listen to me. I I didn't make that up and nobody else said that about Jesus. That was Jesus talking to Zacchaeus, the wee little man from the Bible who jumped up in the tree to see him. This is Jesus looking at him and saying, salvation's come to your house today. And the whole reason I came is to bring salvation to households like yours. I came to seek and save lost people. People, listen to me, guys. Jesus 
loves sinful people. It's what brought him here. Guys, as Christians, this is at the heart of what we believe. We believe that every single one of us sitting in the room tonight, including everybody outside the walls of this place, are sinful people. And because of our sin, our relationship with God has been broken. And we believe that because of our sin, the only thing that we deserve from God is sin or to die in our sin, to experience his punishment and to go after this life is over to a very real place called hell and to spend eternity separated from him. Now, here's the fantastic news that we believe. It's at that moment that God looked at us and he didn't go, ah, stinks for them, right? They shouldn't have screwed up. They shouldn't have chosen that over me. Like, look how awesome I am. Can't believe they did that. It was at that moment that God looked at you, you, an individual. And he said, man, I love them too much to leave them like that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to wrap myself in human flesh I'm going to step into history as a man named Jesus. I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to die in their place for their sins so that they can be forgiven and experience love and experience eternal life and experience eternity in my presence in a very real place called heaven after this life is over. That is the good news of Jesus. He loves sinful people. And he came here to rescue those people. And you know who those people are? Those people are you and me. Those people are you and me. Uh, I want us to go back to the story. And and I want to point out really quickly three groups of people from this story. And the reason I want to do this is very simple. Because every single one of us in the room, including myself, falls into one of these three groups of people. The first group of people in the story that we see are who? The the sinners and the tax collectors, right? And we'll call those people the lost people. Here's the deal. The reason this group of people was even in the story, was was at Matthew's house for this dinner party, the reason they were there is very simple. Here's the reason. It's because Jesus wanted them there. Jesus wanted to sit across the table and eat a meal with these sinful people. He wanted them there. There Now, during this time of Jesus, eating a meal with someone was very, very significant. To sit down across the table from somebody meant that there was personal acceptance happening. Let me make this really easy for you. Jesus in this story is eating with sinners to say to them, I accept you. Jesus is sitting across the table to say to these sinful, broken, hurting, lost people, if no one else will accept you, I accept you. If no one else wants anything to do with you, I want you to come be a part of what I'm doing. If nobody else loves you, I need you to know that I love you. Look at me, everybody. If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus, I need you to know that he loves you and he is pursuing you and he wants to accept you and have a relationship with you. Guys, here's what I need you to understand. Some of you are in the room tonight because Jesus is pursuing you. This is his pursuit of you. Some of you are here tonight because you had a friend look at you and say, come to Reckless with me tonight. And you went, man, I have nothing better to do. Why don't I go? It's no mistake that you're here. Jesus is after you. He's after you. And he's pursuing you. And he wants you to know tonight that he loves you and he accepts you and he wants a relationship with you. And he doesn't care what you've done. 
He doesn't care what your past looks like. He don't care about the mistakes that you've made. The reason he came into this world was to seek you out and to save you and to give you forgiveness and to give you life. He wants a relationship with you tonight. He's after you. He is after you. And before you leave tonight, I'm going to give you an opportunity to trust Christ as your Savior if you've never done that before. Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine. I love that song we sang earlier. I love that. Man, his love is just furious. It is after us. It's coming after us. Here's another group that we see represented in this story. Another group of people we see in this story is the religious. The religious people. The religious people in this story were, were who? They were the Pharisees. And you guys have told you about Pharisees before. They were the religious elite of their day. When it came to spirituality and religion, they were the best of the best. They were the most moral people. They knew more about God and the Bible than anybody else, right? Like they were the people who'd walk into a room and you'd immediately feel bad about yourself. This was the Pharisees. Now, they didn't show up to this dinner party to celebrate the fact that sinful people were hanging out with Jesus. Like, it wasn't like they showed up and went, this is awesome. Like, these people hanging out with him, maybe they'll come to know God in a, in a life-changing way. That wasn't what it was about. They showed up to do nothing more than to criticize and to condemn. Again, they look at the disciples of Jesus and say, why is he, Jesus, eating with those people? This is what religious people do when it comes to lost people. Religious people exclude lost people instead of including them. They treat lost people as if they're better than them. Instead of extending love and grace, they extend criticism and judgment. Instead of offering hope, religious people offer condemnation. Religious people spend all their time pointing out everything that is wrong with everybody else without ever realizing what's wrong with themselves. Listen to me. Some of you guys are here tonight and you're giving church another shot. Um, but you're real skeptical because you've come to church and you've met a bunch of religious people. Can I just say I'm sorry for that? I'm sorry for that. Um, we should be the furthest from that ever as followers of Jesus Christ. Listen, some of you are here tonight. You're religious. You've grown up in church. Um, you, you do all the churchy stuff, yet you fail to truly follow after Jesus and love other people. If you want to know you're religious or not, I, I put together some questions. Maybe this will help. Here's some questions for you. How many lost friends do you have? This is for those of us that say we know Jesus. How many lost friends do you have? Do you spend more time inside the walls of the church than you do sitting across the table from sinful people? Do you think you're better than people outside the walls of this place? Do you spend more time trying to follow rules than you spend loving people who aren't like you? Are you quick to judge people for their mistakes or are you quick to talk about the grace and the acceptance found in Jesus and Him alone? Guys, if you fall into this category of religious, if you're just playing the church game and you're not defined by love for other people, people who don't know Him, let me just remind you of what Jesus told the religious people in this story. He looked them in the face and he said, I'm not here for you. I didn't come for you. 
These people who I'm meeting with, I'm here for them. I came for lost, sinful, broken people. These are the people I'm here for. Jesus reminds them, I did not come into the world for religious, self-righteous, arrogant, prideful, judgmental people who are more focused on following rules than loving people outside of the church. I did not come for people who think they're okay just because they're inside the church every time the doors are open, yet could care less about people who are lost, dying, and going to hell. Jesus looked these people in the face and reminded them, I'm not here for you. I'm here for them. They are why I came. And if you think you're okay, this conversation is over. I'm here for lost, hurting, sinful people. If you're here tonight and you're one of the religious, here's what you need to do. You need to get on your face and you need to repent of religion. And you need to ask for forgiveness of your sins, forgiveness of your pride, forgiveness of your arrogance. And you need to ask Jesus to save you and to give you a heart for lost, sinful people who need a relationship with Him. That's what you need to do. You need to repent of religion. The last group that we see in this story, and this is where we'll end, are the followers of Jesus. The followers of Jesus. This last group of people, they were at this dinner party for one reason. Here's why. Because Jesus was there. They were at this dinner party because Jesus was there. They were busy following Jesus, so they naturally ended up where Jesus was. In this case, it meant they ended up in the middle of a bunch of lost, broken, hurting, sinful people. Okay, look at me. If tonight you say you're a follower of Jesus, guess where you're going to be spending some of your time naturally? With lost, broken, hurting, sinful people. And why? Because that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is. I'm convinced, man, that if Jesus were walking this earth today, he would be spending his time with the, with the people who are the most down and out, the most hopeless, those who are hurting more than we can ever comprehend or imagine. And if we could follow him, like if he was here in person and we could just follow everywhere he went, you know where we'd end up? We'd end up with those people. Guys, it's no different when he's not here. He is still in pursuit of those same people. And if you are truly following after him, you're going to end up spending time with sinful people. Jesus, in Matthew 28, his very own words, told us that our whole purpose as his followers was to go into all the world and to do what? To make disciples. Guys, guess where disciple-making starts? It starts with people who love Jesus and are following Jesus, going up to those people who don't love Jesus and who aren't following Jesus and tell them about how amazing Jesus is and how much he loves them and that he wants a relationship with them. That's where disciple-making starts. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be loving lost people every chance you get. And the reason is very simple, because Jesus loves lost people. We love lost people because Jesus loves lost people. Here's what we're going to do as we close tonight. Um, For those of you that are in this room that don't know him, I'm going to give you a chance to come and know him. For those that are the religious, I'm going to give you a chance to repent and to truly ask Jesus to change your heart. For those of us that are truly following after him, we're going to do something in a minute I'm going to tell you about that I hope sends us out of this room tonight 
with an intentional way of thinking, an intentional way of praying, and an intentional way of going about loving those people in our life that God has put there so that we can love on them and share Jesus with them. So, so let's do this. I just want us, wherever we are, bow our heads, close our eyes. If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, like if right now you have no idea what your eternity looks like, if right now you're living completely for this world and for yourself and you don't know Him, if your sins have never been forgiven, if you've never come into a real relationship with God through Jesus, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. The Bible says, again, there's nothing to earn, there's nothing to prove. God loves you in spite of you. Even if you're that kid that walked in the building tonight and you were waiting for the walls to cave in and the building to burn down because, right, you, God can't love me. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you in spite of you. The Bible says, man, if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for your sins, if you believe in your heart that he rose from the grave, that God will save you, that he'll put his Holy Spirit inside of you, and he'll give you the power and the strength every day to live the life he wants you to live. And the Bible says this, the Bible says you trust in Jesus as your Savior, that after this life is over, you will lay your head to rest in death knowing that your eternity is secure and that you will step into eternity and into the presence of the creator and the maker of this universe. You'll spend eternity with the Jesus that came to trade his life for yours. That is good good news. If you don't know him tonight, you could just say something like this to him. There's no magical prayer that saves anybody, but you can just, in your heart, you can just confess this to God tonight. You can say this. You can say, God, tonight I need to know you. God, tonight I'm asking you to come and to save me. God, change me. I believe that you sent Jesus here for one purpose, and that was to seek and to save lost people. And God, I need to be saved tonight. God, I believe Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of all my sins. And God, tonight I'm asking for you to forgive me. Past, present, and future sins, all of them. And God, I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days later so that he could give me eternal life. God, tonight I'm asking, would you give me eternal life? God, help me to know that after tonight, man, if anything ever happened with my life, God, I would step into your presence. God, I, I want you to give me eternal life. The Bible says you confess that, you believe that in your heart, that God saves you. He changes you, and he gives you a spirit to live the life he wants you to live. Christianity is about a relationship, man. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Listen, tonight, if you've made a decision to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, I just want to be able to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I'm not going to ask you to stand or call anybody out. And heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. But I just want to pray for you before we go on with this service. So right where you are, would you just do me a favor? Just lift your hand up. Just throw it in the air. High enough where I can see it. I see that hand back here. I see hands back here. Anybody else? Just throw it up. I see a hand here in the middle. A hand in the back. Anybody else? Tonight, man, I'm trusting Jesus to be my Savior. 
Some of you in the room, man, if you're wrestling right now, just let go. I'm not going to be that old crazy Baptist preacher that tries to drag people into heaven, but God, I want to thank you for these students tonight, God, who've made that life-changing decision to place their faith and their trust in you and you alone. I thank you for Jesus and for the way he loves us. God, that he would trade his life for ours, that he would lay down his life willingly so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with you. God, may that truth change us every single day, cause us to be devoted to you and to you alone. Listen, if if you're here tonight and you're religious, let me just say this. For some of you guys, religion is this. Religion is you don't live for Jesus at all, and you could care less to. And you think that just because you come to church once a week that God's all right. You need to repent. You need to repent of that. And you need to remember that God loves you. And he's not looking for you just to follow rules, to check things off a list, to earn something. He loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And tonight you need to repent of religion. You need to lay it aside. You just need to come and you need to have an actual, real relationship with a God who loves you. For those of us that are in the room tonight, man, that would say, I'm here. I'm doing this thing. I want to follow Jesus. I want to love lost people. I want to be intentional about sharing the hope that I've found. Here's what we're going to do. In just a second, these guys are going to play a song for us. And I've got tables set up on either side of this room at the front. There are these white tables, round tables up front. And on them are cards. And the cards say one thing at the bottom. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what they say. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do tonight. During this song, the next two songs, I want to ask you, if you will, don't, don't do this if you don't want to do it, all right? If you will commit to this, if you want to commit to this, if you're serious about following Jesus and loving lost people, I want you to just come up to one of these tables on either side of the room. There's pins. I want you to grab a card. I want you to write a name. And maybe you need to sit in your seat and pray, God, who in the world can I love? Who needs to know about you, God, that you put in my life? I want you to be intentional about this. Think about it. Pray about it. Maybe it's a friend at school. Maybe it's a family member. I just want you to come and grab a card and maybe you write one name. Maybe you write five. Maybe some of you guys want to write ten names. I don't care how many you write. But if you're serious about this thing, I want you to come and I want you to write a name on that card. And I want to ask you, after you write that name, I just want you to kneel somewhere. Maybe at your seat, maybe up here at the front of the room, whatever. I want you to kneel somewhere and I want you to hold that card and I want you to pray over that name. And I want you to pray that God would give you courage to love that person like Jesus loves that person. And here's what I want you to do with that card after you've done that. I want you to take it back to your seat. I want you to take it home with you. And I want you to put it somewhere where you're going to see it every single day. I want you to put it on your bathroom mirror. I want you to put it in your car. I want you to put it in your locker at your school. I want you to put it somewhere where every day you see those names and you remember, I need to be praying for them. I need to be loving them. I need to be sharing Jesus with them. Jesus came to save the lost. They're lost. He came for them. So I got to go after them because that's where Jesus is. He's, He's pursuing them. I'm following him. I need to be with them. And I want you to be intentional every day about pursuing those people and loving them with the love of Jesus. 
So let me pray for our time together. And as soon as I pray for our time together, you guys can start moving. Father God, I thank you so much for this night. God, for the truth that we find in your word. God, I thank you, God, for Jesus and for him coming after us. God, thank you for your salvation, for your hope, for your peace. Thank you, God, that right now, if we know Jesus, we can rest in the fact that after this life is over, we will see you face to face, and it will be a great day. God, help us right now. Put people on our hearts, in our minds tonight that we need to be loving on, praying for, pursuing, sharing you with. God, and we pray that many of these lives would be changed. God, help us to love the lost like you love the lost. God, we pray over this time, and we ask that you work in great ways. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.